Welcome to a new episode of the RMT Open Podcast. I am Dr. Paul Studenik from Vienna, Austria, and today we're going to talk to Professor Janet Cope from London, Ontario, in Canada. She's the head of the Division of Rheumatology at the Cheng Tso's Healthcare and affiliated with the University of Western Ontario. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. I am a professor of medicine and an epidemiologist, but I'm also a clinician. So I thought this uh, discussion will be very important. Thank you very much for joining. We will be discussing the study of Matthew Turk and uh, Janet Pope named the Physician Global Assessment for Disease Activity and Rheumatoid Arthritis are all over the map, uh, which was recently published in winter 2018 in R&D Open. And uh, the Physician Global Assessment is actually very intriguing because somehow it's the counterpart to the Patient Global Assessment. And there have been numerous papers on the discrepancy between the patient global and the physician's global, exploring in particular the patient's view, I would lead on to if you could tell us a bit about the background and the rationale of this study. Yes, Paul, you're totally correct that basically we have looked, as have many other people, at the differences between the patient global assessment and the physician global. As a for instance, um, sometimes patients are not in remission uh, from DOS uh, and from CDI and SDI because the patient global is ranked fairly highly. And if we by accident removed their global assessment and just doubled the um, MD global, a CDI or S, um, not DAS because there's no physician global or there's no patient global, there's a patient pain, but no physician global, then at least in CDI, SDI, Boolean kind of uh, look at pins, we would find more people in remission. And that's probably due to a patient having pain for other reasons, chronic pain, damage pain, other musculoskeletal pain, or even subclinical inflammation. On the other hand, there aren't many studies that look at the concordance between what one physician is rating in a case or another physician, and because it's so important for ACR criteria for clinical practice of treating to a target if you're using CDI or SDI, you are using the physician global. And yet we are uncertain and we are actually in our training and as teaching rheumatology, we are not trained or training others to actually rank this SMD global assessment. So part of what we wanted to do was find out would clinicians that had a lot more experience were more senior actually rank a lot of the cases lower that was our pretest hypothesis we thought okay they've already seen a 10 now and they've seen a lot of people that are in the middle and low disease activity but there's not many patients that come in with a 10 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10 of disease activity and we thought that the ones in uh, practice that were more junior or didn't rate themselves as experts in RA or didn't see as many patients with rheumatoid would actually possibly rate relatively higher and so that's what we wanted to look at and in lupus there is some training that goes on for bilag and sleet eye but not always concordance for looking at md global but in rheumatoid arthritis i've done many trials and we've not been trained uh, in md global we've been trained in our joint counts and the research nurses trained in how they do their esr so it is kind of intriguing why we don't really look at this from that point of view, what is actually the most intriguing thing? 
So what we did in short was we actually surveyed my fellow members of our Canadian Rheumatology Association. So um, many rheumatologists and we looked at their demographics. So their experience, their age, their years in practice, their uh, sex, whether male or female, their practice, was it a community practice or university or a blended practice, and how many patients they saw with rheumatoid arthritis each year, and whether or not they considered themselves experts. So I think one intriguing result is that we actually, for a survey like this, where they had to fill in a series of cases that took about 30 minutes, we actually had a 40% response rate. So I think that in of itself is intriguing that my busy fellow practitioners were willing to do this. And in survey methodology of uh, things such as professional organizations, the expected response rate is about 15%. The other thing that's nice is that we had a range of distribution of answers. So I think the most intriguing thing is that the correlations uh, between the physicians were very broad. They were weak correlations. I expected them to be uh, tighter at one end or the other. So I, we gave a range of cases in random order. So some cases were obviously remission or near it. Some cases were obviously in tender and swollen joints, uh, high inflammatory markers. And as expected at the ends, the correlations were far tighter. So almost everyone agreed that this person would be low disease activity and or another patient would be high disease activity. And the other thing that I think gave validity to our MD globals when you are actually looking at clinical research or treating to a target was that we had cases where a patient returned to clinic. You've made an intervention. We didn't talk about the intervention, but you have now treated the patient and they've come back. Or the patient was in remission, as a, for instance, was doing very well and called and came back early. So we gave transitional cases where they were either doing obviously, obvious to me at least, way worse or way better. And those correlations were very strong. And so as a, for instance, if someone ranked uh, a median of three out of 10 on uh, MD global, and the range could have been from one to seven, so quite a broad range, and the patient returned quite flaring by all the ways you would think, by the fact inflammatory markers were elevated, swollen counts were elevated, tender counts were a bit more elevated. What we certainly found was the change was about the same. So irrespective of where you started on your zero to 10 curve, the change of about three or four, depending on how much different they were, had a far narrower standard deviation, so the variability is a lot tighter. So what's reassuring to me is that a change in status, we agree on uh, far more than their baseline status. The other thing is because we know patients have discordant ratings and we know people that are partially treated or even untreated can flare without huge elevations necessarily inflammatory markers, we actually try to give discordance on some of the values where you could have, say, nine swollen joints, four tender joints, and a normal ESR and CRP, but a patient's already on, say, high-dose methotrexate or on triple therapy or methotrexate plus corticosteroids, so that they would see cases that would mimic real practice. 
And I wonder if sometimes people were actually uh, sitting with their calculator doing DOSs um, or C dyes or S dyes so that they could say, oh, well, that score should be moderate disease activity. Uh, or like, this should be, when they come back, a ULAR good response. So I say that I think they're a lot better. But I kind of doubt they did that. No one's going to sit there usually. I think they just looked at and calculate. I think they looked at the clinical material and made their decisions. So the other thing that was, I think, a little bit intriguing was that we didn't really have a strong correlation of uh, experience and rating. If anything, um, we really could not fully predict age, years in practice, uh, considering yourself an expert, which by the way, most people consider themselves RA experts as you would think they would with adequate training. We couldn't really find that there was a strong correlation between these factors or practice size of rheumatoid arthritis patients with how they uh, answered the questions. And the people that answered were actually about 600 to 800 patients with rheumatoid arthritis per year, unique patients. So I think that we can say in Canada, in general, with the respondents that they do see a lot of RA patients and they felt that they had a lot of experience. You mentioned that actually before a bit, that it would be also interesting to see on how you would explain a physician global. So now, after that, what would be an outline of explaining to a first-year fellow the physician global and how he or she should move forward when he or she is scoring a patient on a visual analog scale of 10 centimeters. Right. And I think what's really important is even how we frame a physician global when we're going to explain to a rheumatology trainee. So if you believe a physician global is rheumatoid arthritis activity, severity, and damage, which it's not when asked for a trial or even for treating good target, you will come up with a different level. So as a, for instance, if someone only three years of disease and has subluxations of their MCPs already, obvious damage on x-rays, that person has very serious disease. And I might tolerate little or no disease activity if possible for the future because they will be get more damage but they could come in with zero swollen joints, CRP, just at the upper limit of normal. Um, and I might say with factors that they have no disease activity, but that they still have serious disease because the rate at which they've changed is quite high. But our concept in all our clinics and certainly in our research for outcome measurements, our concept is that of disease activity. So I would probably say to the fellow is that there is discordance on what a patient thinks and believes and what the physician sees. And you can look at their function like their hack. You can look at their tender joint counts. You can look at what damage is present or not. And all of that is holistic and important. But that, at least my opinion, not necessarily what literature would tell us, but in my opinion, disease activity of physician rating would be the amount of swollen joints, the severity of those joints, two little non-tender MCPs would not read as highly as one big swollen uh, ankle that's a weight-bearing joint. So the burden of synovitis and the amount of activity of synovitis will certainly affect my global activity. And then all things being equal at the same joint count, people with inflammatory markers that are elevated would in my mind have slightly higher disease activity than people 
all things equal that had normal inflammatory markers because those with higher inflammatory markers in some ways uh if we can't explain it by an infection or other things if i attribute it to ra will have worse um, damage down the road so therefore higher disease activity and it's interesting in days gone by uh, one of the uh, older instruments for rheumatoid arthritis would rate the degree of, uh, of um, severity of the inflammation, but no ratings, as far as I'm aware of, would rate that a swollen knee counts more than many swollen PIPs or counts more than even one swollen MCP or PIP. So you can't just look at a joint count, whether it's swollen or looking at swollen and tender. You actually have to look at the the joints themselves and is the distribution a large synovitis burden or is it a small synovitis burden because obviously as i say a big amount of synovitis in a large joint will actually be more destructive for that patient than say a, a small joint or a damaged wrist that's still swollen although there's disease activity won't be all that relevant for a patient, whereas if they develop new swelling on the other wrist, there's relevance. So I think what I'm telling you is that there's no simple way to explain it, that we have to look at other measures, but that the interpretation in my mind is not just the patient's DAS score, and therefore with that DAS, I translate it to an MD global, that we are independently uh, independent to other measures, trying with some degree of correlation, but trying to give an assessment of activity. And it's a learned skill, and I think we should actually be trained to have concordance, where, uh, at least in clinic, what we do, the patients um, are seen by our rheumatology residents, and the residents fill out their uh, tender, swollen, and their global assessment of activity. And then we come in and do the same and we do discuss concordance and discordance. And I think the trainees actually start recalibrating depending on what clinician they're with. That, oh, Dr. Pope always calls things fairly low unless if they're really active, but whereas Dr. So-and-so calls them things kind of in the middle. So I think we have to learn to recalibrate because there's no right answer. So would you say that it would be possible to somehow prepare or outline a standard procedure on what to follow, it wouldn't be any different than out of practice, you develop the ability to find the most appropriate score. So I think that philosophically, both approaches would probably give um, more credence to us being more similar over time than dissimilar. And what I mean by that, um, we are, our skills, particularly in rheumatology, where you have to touch patients, we have to do a joint count, we have to do that physical examination because it tells us so much. Is the joint tender, is it warm, is there a large effusion, is it chronic and smoldering versus highly active, all those things they have to have that practice but I do also believe that we can develop further concordance by maybe developing a catalog or as a for instance a ULAR or an ACR or a, um, a formal uh, body a course that is probably very easy 30 minutes long done twice in someone's training maybe uh, anyone could do it at their own um, willingness that's already in practice doing it once and saying not what here's what you rated that's easy we just pick what we rate but looking at you are far different 
from other people at your stage in training or at your level of expertise or overall the mean or in the median and the range were this and you are actually right in the middle of the pack or you are an outlier so you have to compare to other uh, people or you don't know if you're actually uh, becoming more concordant we could also do a Delphi exercise but that's not practical for all rheumatologists to say you know we agree on this or not but if we're doing small randomized controlled trials opposed to large multi-center you could do a Delphi and a multi-center trials where we need outcomes that have MD global which would be virtually every randomized controlled trial but other outcome studies I think there could be a little workbook that helps to standardize and you discuss it you say, why are you rating an eight and this person's rating a five? Because that's a big difference. That could be someone in remission or not, or someone in probably not remission out of five or an eight, but someone in a high disease activity versus moderate and what, how you change might be different. So I think that would be important. But what's also important is not just the words, but if we had... Uh, standardization within our teaching clinics of patients and we used to do this for standardizing joint counts amongst the therapists and the physicians and also the um, trainees at various levels so we would standardize joint counts you could also standardize in that sort of way an MD global feeling is this really a warm swollen joint grading is this um, a, a bland knee effusion that's OA or well-controlled RA or is it um, marked with a, a thickened wad of synovium and a lot of uh, heat on that joint and a loculated effusion and things like that. So I think that um, there is value of adding the patient uh, exam into what's going on. We really have to uh, turn the lens on ourselves. As you said earlier, we look at patient globals and say, oh, they're discordant. They are within themselves quite concordant, but they're discordant from what we think is going on. I think it's time to really look at what we're thinking. Thank you very much, Professor Pope, for joining us today and contributing, uh, discussing the topic. Great. Thank you very much. And what I think is there's a, a large amount of research for many other trainees or uh, investigators to look at the various other rheumatic diseases. So we really think moving forward, we'll probably look at outcome assessments on multiple other areas. And that it will be also difficult to find concordance in things such as axial spondyloarthropathy, where you really don't know what's going on. We have to listen to the patient, but also um, many other independent ways of looking. So thank you very much. Thank you all for joining us in this uh, RMD podcast. And if you want to read the full paper, you can find that anytime at rmdopen.emj.com. Thank you.